Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So let me ask you a question. What kind of a family dynamic did you um, were you born into? What was what was the scenario that your soul chose for you? If you were to take a moment and look at your family of origin and and perhaps look at some of the challenges, some of the um, you might you might even call them train wrecks. I mean, there's so many diverse um, backgrounds that we all have. What is your own personal um, core lessons, if you will, core challenges, if you will? And and you might not have some that come to mind. But what I'm getting at here is. We've we've done so many episodes on the show tonight. Uh, on the show over the boy, we're coming up on a decade now, and we've had some very powerful stories. And what I really have um, learned to do is look at the dynamic, the story behind the story, if you will. And it's it's really a journey of a soul. Tonight, the topic is transforming pessimism into joyful optimism. And our guest tonight is Dr. Lise DeGeer. We're going to bring Dr. Lise on in just a minute, but I just want you to think about that that early family dynamic. Did, were you taught um, strength? Were you supported? Were you not supported? Was an abusive um, dynamic? Were your parents emotionally uneducated, uh, no skill set? The reason I say this is that there's so many people that are having their lives turned on its head with this uh, pandemic going on. We're coming up towards the very last week or two of 2020, and who would have thought that this narrative would be playing out at this time a year ago? December 2019, it wasn't even on the radar. It wasn't in anybody's mindset. And for so many people on the planet, this year has clobbered them. I mean, there's some really tough challenges. There's some really tough challenges going on in our family dynamics all across the country and all across the world. And a lot of times we don't have the skill set, or so it seems, for the challenges that are put in front of us. Maybe there's people that have had to close their business, their restaurant, their catering service or whatever. They've had to close the only vocation that they know where an entire industry is put in in the pause mode and there's no foreseeable opening. You've had to shelf, you've had to surrender to give up how you've made your living for perhaps decades. And you find yourself now confronted with the idea that you've got to do something completely different. And you've got to do it on the fly. Ready or not, here it is. Wow. Tough, tough, tough stuff. Well, that's what I really like about our episode tonight. We're gonna we're gonna look at a uh, a journey that our guest has has taken in her own life with immense challenges, and to be able to transform pessimism, heartache, despair maybe rage and anger, into joyful optimism. 
I think that's <laughs> that seems like a challenge that might not be achievable to some, and I think the the topic to m tonight might shed some light on that. I think we should jump right to it. Dr. Lise DeGeer is a clinical psychologist in private practice for over 20 years, a lone surviving child of unsettled and iconoclastic parents. She grew up all over New Jersey and Long Island. Following a horrific fire where she suffered burns on two-thirds of her body, she spent much of her childhood alone in a Boston hospital undergoing countless surgical procedures. In her debut book, Flashback Girl, Lessons on Resilience from a Burn Survivor, Doc, Dr. DeGeer shares how she worked through the internal and external pain of her childhood to find a path towards love, health, joy, and life satisfaction. She credits her survival to finding her strength and resilience. Join me in welcoming Dr. Lise DeGeer to the show. Welcome to the show, Lise. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be with you tonight. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. Um, now, I touched on it a little bit in the introduction, but um, before we start talking about your journey, can you just embellish it some and give us a, a, a better idea of what that journey entailed? Sure. I am the youngest of two children born to my parents who were um, brilliant, artistically gifted people and who meant well, but were not capable of being um, tuned in and attentive parents the way that we needed them to be. When I was four, I was burned in a terrible fire which was accidentally set by my mother. And it was a result of my mother poured something that she thought was lighter fluid on a fire, but it turns out it was household solvent, which was highly flammable. And in the instant of, of the fire breaking out, my, my mother realized there was only one way to survive this fire, which was to run through it and down into the lake because we were right near a lake. And that's what she did, and she left me in it, even though I was right next to her. She, she, she left me to burn in that fire. My father rescued me and um, saved me. But, you know, at, at, at that moment on and for the rest of my life, I was burned third degree on two-thirds of my body, and... Um, I've had, I don't even know how many operations that they, they actually didn't count. So somewhere between 40 and 60, I would say, um, and have suffered a great deal of pain. I'm permanently disfigured, and it's been a hard road to go, and actually that's only part of it, <laughs> but I'll stop there. Right. Well, I mean, that's, that in and of itself is uh, overwhelming. The, the, and the notion to be in your childhood and alone in a hospital, there's just no support structure there of any permanence. I mean, the nurses can show compassion and love, but, I mean, you're, um, for your family to be absent. Um, yeah. They, so... The, to to be fair to them, the hospital was about 200 miles away from where we lived, and my father had to work, so he came up to see me in the beginning every other every weekend, and then as as the hospitalizations progressed, he came every other weekend. 
So I, I would say my dad more or less did his best on that end. My mom is a different story. She was actually in the hospital herself at the same time. She was burned too, but you know, not nearly as bad as, badly as me, but she was burned. And she she refused to visit me for for weeks actually and you know, I was almost died during those weeks a couple of times. She 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 said she just couldn't. She was in too much pain and she couldn't come. And and that kind of set the stage for her from then on. She again she would come every other weekend. You know, honestly my mother could have spent all my childhood with me in the hospital if she had chosen to. And I I don't know, you know, if you have children, I have children. If they were burned in the hospital, I would be there. But that was not her choice. And so I was mostly on my own in that hospital for many, 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 many procedures which were excruciatingly painful. Then I guess I would say I wasn't on my own um, in that I had a doctor who was very good to me and other nurses and, you know, I made friends with the other kids. So I made my way. Well, and and making your way is kind of the... The journey itself. I mean, making your way, you're you're finding yourself in this um, completely different scenario, and making your way is how you increment through um, the challenge itself. Uh, making your way, I it it seems like that's the knack in and of itself when you don't know what the what the path is, making your way is to stay present, to look for opportunities. I mean, I'm I'm looking for your input here. When you yeah. when you talk about making your way, um, t- tell us about how you adapted mm. to. You know that you know what I mean because how many people are bumping yeah. up. They're bumping up against something and they can't see a path. And you're yeah. making the way, it sounds like. It's a one step at a time thing. Share with us your thoughts on that. So I guess I have two sets of thoughts on that. You know, one is my recollection of being a little girl and what I meant by making my way. And then the other reaction is how I think about that in my work now as a psychologist, treating other people. So I'll I'll start with the little girl part. So making my way as a little girl, I think often meant looking to connect with the people who were there. I, I tend to believe that people, that there are many good people around us. Some people, eh, maybe they're not so great. But I think that there are many, many good people around us, and I'm always looking for them (laughs) and looking to make friends and to connect, looking to establish something with someone. Um, As a little girl, it was so that people would help me or take care of me or just, you know, spend time with me, right? And I think making my way meant sort of taking each day as it comes and trying to do that and trying to get through these medical procedures, which were truly excruciatingly painful, taking them one day at a time, until I was well. Now, I I just want to get to the second half of my thought on making your way. As a psychologist, when I deal with people who are in crisis, I think I bring very much similar mindset of, okay, you need to get through this crisis one day at a time, one hour at a time sometimes. And a big part of that is going to be making sure you eat and making sure you sleep and making sure you get some love and talk to people and get whatever exercise you can and getting through each terrible day until they're not so terrible. 
uh, one day at a time and and I like what you said about looking for people in that a lot of times like um, in say you've lost your job or like I mentioned your industry has collapsed and your brain is going 9,000 miles an hour about what the what am I going to do? And you and you can get lost in your brain. But I really liked what you said about looking for the people that are, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that are right in front of you. Looking, you know what I mean? Because you were talking about mm-hmm. that there were people there to help. But sometimes we can't see that if we're if we're in a monologue in our heads. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. I, I think you're right. And, and many times when people are in crisis, they're, they kind of retreat into themselves and their own worries. And they're not maybe seeing the good people around them that care about them or that can offer assistance or advice or just, you know, a pat on the back. I also think that it is human nature to focus on the people we think should be there for us and then to be upset if they're not. Right. So, for example, like with my, with my family, you know, my, my parents, again, they meant well. They, they loved me. But they just weren't really good at being parental and, and in ways that had actually tragic results. And if I really just concentrated on them, I would miss the whole panoply of people who have been wonderful to me. I've had amazing friends. I had an older brother who, you know, was basically a saint. There were lots of people who have been there for me, just not the ones you think maybe would be the people who'd be there for me. Well, and they have the wherewithal to see that. You know, it's it's kind of mm-hmm. curious. Um, for a while, I really kind of looked at the dynamic of human relationships, and in the in the simplest sense, I mean human relationships, and to not get any more complicated than that, because if I've worked in broadcast TV for 35 years, and I've seen every flavor of horrific story there is as far as humanity inflicting pain on humanity. And there's no genre that's safe from that dynamic. Parents being brutal to their kids versus vice spouses, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I, I find it really curious. Like, I think... Um, people you meet in college are perhaps the most unique kind of relationship because in high school it, you don't even know who you are. In college, you're you're your own persona, and there's no history, if you will. And mm-hmm. and so when you talk about um, the people that were there for you, that that were able to show up for you, that you that came from a aspect of your life that you weren't perhaps expecting it from. I mean, you talked about um, the quote normal expectation is well, family members will take care of each other in that kind of a scenario, but for you, it came from from the fringe, if you will, not from the core family dynamic, but from all these other threads. And what I really liked about what you said is um, to be aware of these people that show up, that have um, opportunity, support, you know, compassion to to share with you and to have the wherewithal to be able to receive that. Because to receive the the gifts of others, if you will, is not a truly prominent aspect of our human demeanor on this planet. Mm, mm-hmm. 
Yes. Yeah, I I have been blessed with so many really dear friends. And and people, you know, find it a little bit remarkable. At the end of I I I've written about my experience in, in my book Flashback Girl. And at the end, um, there's, you know, the acknowledgments page that everybody writes. And, and I, I write an acknowledgment to, you know, the doctors and nurses who cared for me and therapists and people who helped me with the book. And, and then I have this whole paragraph where I'm like, I would like to thank every best friend I've ever had. <laughs> and I lift out name after name after name after name. And the, the really cool thing, Les, is that I'm in touch with, I, I think, all of them. And and there's a lot of them there because I moved all the time because my, my family was really unstable and stuff. So I am just so lucky to have met a lot of smart and kind and giving people. And partly that's because, you know, I myself am a, a friendly, smart and kind and giving person. I give a lot back. And partly it's that I am... It's not that hard for me to be open and vulnerable to people. And, you know, again, there's plenty of people who don't respond to that, but there's plenty of people who do. And that's how I've made a lot of really mm, very deep connections in this world. And those people, you know, my, my family, every, every one of them, my first family, every one of them has died. And the people that I mentioned in that paragraph, you know, every best friend I ever had, that's my family, you know? That's my chosen right. family. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at is um, sometimes the the powerful relationships in our life are from people that enter our life in the most obscure situations. But, you know, part of me has to think that some of that was, I mean, a lot of times I like to take a step back and look at like soul contracts um, or soul agreements that uh, people will be there for each other. Um, mm. And it and it it's not always based on good things. For myself, I went through a train wreck aspect of my life, and there was my boss, and this is decades ago, but while I was going through the, quote, lesson, unquote, I'd describe him as malicious and SOB, um, evil perhaps, <laughs> a, a real a real intentionally bad guy that got in my face every day for a decade. And, mm. and now I would add one more attribute to his description he was my angel. He was my gift. Oh wow! In my life, because he cracked me open. He put me on the couch. Um, mm. I was. I had um, so um, much emotional baggage, junk in my trunk, if you might say, and I was not cognitive of it. Cognizant of it. And I was loading more and more up in my psyche and my health was going downhill and my ability to be, show up in relationships was diminishing. And that little SOB was such a diligent angel in that he poked my buttons every day. <laughs> he got in my face, he got under my skin, he gave me crap in, in such a consistent and malicious way that I had nowhere to hide. And I real mm-hmm. and I realized that it was him that got me on the couch, and then I had the the cosmic two by four crack me open like a bug hitting a windshield, and uh, my life path changed completely and totally because of that that cantankerous old sob. And <laughs> I realized now I had a soul contract with him for him to be the tyrant, the, you know, and uh, so when you describe these people coming into your life 
to um, and provide support for you. Uh, it makes me wonder if if some of that was like soul agreements that because if you if you look at your life dynamic, you're in a hospital by your more or less as a child with immense pain and countless surgeries. I mean, what a life path. And then you talk about these very precious people. How do you, do some of them kind of strike a chord with you as far as, um, you know, they showed up at the right place at the right time kind of thing? Absolutely. Uh, So I'll, I'll tell you one story that is, is what's come to mind as you say that. And in order to say the story, I have to say a preface, and the preface is very sad. So my, my older brother, Mark, Mark Emil DeGear, was, for, for all my childhood, my favorite person. He was, as, as difficult as my parents were, my, Mark was that wise. And as neglectful as they were, he was that attentive. He was um, a super older brother, very supportive and kind, and took really good care of me. I, I, I will often say Mark, Mark was my best parent. And he really was. But he also had a lot of problems. And um, he, unlike me, I had Mark to take care of me. Mark didn't have anyone to take care of him because he was the oldest child. And he was depressed and no one brought him to therapy and he he refused to get treatment and nobody made him go and and he wound up with really no parental supervision or oversight because that's how it was in our family. And at the age of 19... Uh, my brother took his life, which was actually the worst thing that has ever happened to me. You'd think it was the fire, right, and being you know terribly disfigured and bullied and taunted and all this stuff, but really, it was the loss of my brother that that was the worst thing that ever happened. So, all this though is background to tell you about this one woman. Her name is Cindy. And she went to college with my brother. She went to MIT. And I had met her the uh, semester before my brother took his life. My brother took his life at MIT. And I had stayed with her for a few days. And she was very nice to me. And I liked her, you know. But but, but it, it's not like she was my best friend or anything. She was, you know, six years older than me. And I was 14 at the time. Anyway, after my brother died... My my father and I drove up to MIT to get his things, and we were in the dean's office, and uh, I guess somebody told Cindy that we were there. And I will never forget the sight of Cindy running down the MIT corridor, arms outstretched, running to me. And she got to me, and she pulled me into her arms. And that same Cindy literally took care of me for two years. I stayed with her all the time. She came and visited me in the hospital. She took care of me after my operations. She was a a mother and a sister in a time of great distress. And we hardly knew each other. Wow. What a what a powerful story. Um your brother sounded like the the haven the oasis for you as an older brother and having so much love for you and then to have that vanish um, um, losing somebody that we're so close to especially with that kind of a bond that's tough stuff yeah that that was just the most horrific thing and then for Cindy to swoop in there and um, in her own way provide, a, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but to become another oasis, another refuge, if you will, of 
compassion for you as you're going through this at, what, 14 at the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she was 20. <laughs> it's funny because to me, you know, <laughs> she seems so much older, but she was 20. And actually, I think she was 19. And uh, she just kind of devoted herself to helping me for a couple years until I was a little bit more back on my feet. But, yeah, the the loss of my brother was the the hardest thing I have ever been through. And, you know, as a psychologist now, of course I have clients who suffer deeply with, with depression and and some with suicidal thoughts. And, and that's, I think, part of my journey now is to be the person who's there for people when they are going through those very hard times and say, look, again, back to what we were talking about before, one day at a time, get through this day, then we'll get through the next one. And then the next one after that, and sooner or later they'll they'll get better. Right. Well, it's... Um, I, for me, the... the <laughs> I don't know what to call it. The story of stories is is to be in the darkness and not know and just not know. Um, maybe to the point of feeling hopeless or feeling despair or perhaps even rage or anger about um, the condition or circumstance that you're in. And then to to go from that point and to push through to to make your way out of that and then get back on your feet and restore your sense of passion for life, restore your sense of gratitude, uh, you know, infuse some thankfulness and happiness in that. That's the stuff. That's, I mean, mm. we've had... We've had countless shows on this on this radio, and uh, it's it's the transformation of our human condition. I mean, if you look at humanity collectively now, what what 2020s really showed me is how some people are so engulfed in fear; they're really addicted to fear. I mean, it's, mm, it's like mm-hmm. a rat in a cage pushing that bar and they just can't stop um, in that in that cycle of fear and 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 then throw in despair and hopelessness of perhaps losing your job or losing the business or going into debt or I mean suicide rates are up now so lots of people close to you and this is tough times. <laughs> this is some pretty yeah. tough times um, in our in our human narrative. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, examples of this in the past, like uh, World War II or whatever. And this is just kind of different in its own way, in in the many different facets of how people are unexpectedly finding themselves bumping up against. Just really significant challenges. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's it's funny to me, and and one would say there aren't coincidences and things. So I'll just go with it. I wrote this book last, the 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 the, the story of my life that we're sort of been talking about tonight. It's called. And I wrote this book three years ago, not not during this pandemic, not during 2020. It was three years ago. But the title of it has always been Flashback Girl, Lessons on Resilience from a Burn Survivor. And then the book was released this year. And this year has every, I swear, every radio show you hear or article, every other one, Resilience, resilience, resilience. It's the word you're hearing again and again and again because everybody's clawing for it, you know, looking for it. Like, how do we get through this time? 
It is, I, I have never, I myself have never lived through a year where everybody you know is struggling. Everybody. You know, there's, no, there's nobody having a good year. Maybe some people's years aren't as bad as others. But there's nobody having a good year. So. Right. Well. It's, it's interesting how I was able to get this message out now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty. Oh, sorry. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> we'll never, we'll now, never say that that um, statement the same way, will we? <laughs> right. Uh-huh. What's yeah. the new mime? And then everything went twenty twenty, and everybody knows what that means. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, now let's take a step back and just reapproach this because we we've talked about making your way. And and looking for and recognizing people that are in in, um, in your life that are offering help, and to realize um, that you can take them up on that help and take them that one day at a time. Now, now those are some some really um, good points. But how can we embellish that? I mean. And 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 provide some more material that'll that'll help people um, look at their situation in a in a more optimistic way. Yeah. So again, back to this word resilience that everybody's talking about the fear and trying to understand and trying to develop more of in themselves. I, I do a fair amount of speaking about, about resilience and, and what it is. Um, so, so it's defined as the capacity to bounce back from adversity. And there's a lot of different things that seem to go into being resilient or not being resilient. And some of them we can't control. There's, there's genetic uh, components of resiliency, which, you know, they're, they're not under our control. And there's economic components of resiliency in that if you were from, you know, easier economic circumstances, you most likely are living in a safer area with better access to schools and healthcare and, you know, resources to help you. But then there are some aspects of resiliency that they're, they're cognitive. They're, they're mindsets. There are things in our own head that we can work on. And you don't have to be rich and you don't have to be, you know, born a certain way in order to develop them. So those are the things that interest me most of all. And I, I came up with a, a mnemonic for those. It's uh, goals plus M&M. And the G stands for gratitude. The O is for optimism. The A is for active coping. L is for love. S is for social skills. And then M&M, and that stands for meaning-making. And all of these are, you know, I can go into them or not, depending on how much time we have, but all of these are mindsets that people can work on improving for themselves. You know, there's things you can read, articles and stuff like that, there's therapy. Therapy can help a lot with all of this stuff, believe me. I know I've been in a lot of it, and I do a lot of it. But these are ways that we can improve our chances of improving our own lives. Right. Well, you know, I can... What comes to mind is... Um, a common attribute of the the masculine archetype, men. Um, men tend to be uh, to see themselves as problem solvers, and mm-hmm. a lot of times they can have a lot of pride behind that, where they're gonna they're gonna do everything on their own and. That might have worked starting their business. That might have worked um, getting the restaurant built 
that might have worked, you know, in the first tough years of of starting some up on your own, and then to have, you know, like I mentioned, it's like industries. Industries are collapsing, and that brings a whole new dynamic to if you're a if you're a father of a family dynamic and what you've done for a living has been shelved and you're supposed to find your way it's a great time to put pride and set it aside and be able to to open up to help and support even though you've done everything by yourself, even though from maybe your father instilled in you that it's that it's important to be tough and you know strong and but some of the dynamics we're going through now, nobody nobody has training in any kind of a, a vast experience in. And what do you do when your industry goes south? What do you do when, you know, uh, 2020 is unique in such um, unexpected ways about how these, uh, how the economic impact has influenced people's vitality. And so I just wanted to mm-hmm. mention to men listening that. You know, if you find yourself in a pickle getting pushed up against the wall and you've run out of answers, it it's a good time to maybe change your dynamic and, and take a step back and look around at what support mechanisms there are. And you don't have to do this by yourself. And there are people out there for support and I just, I don't know, I just feel some people need to hear that right now. Yeah, and and I, I think you, you do such a beautiful job of articulating the the pressures that so many men feel and the, how hard it is for a man to say, you know what, I could use some help and support and advice here. I, I will say that, you know, as a psychologist, more of my clients are women. And it's very interesting, many times when it, when a man walks in looking for help, there's the reframe that I will often do with, with, the, with the man is like, look, you just, you know, you just need some skills and like we can help you with that. <laughs> like you, can, you just need to learn how to do this or that, you know, and that's something you can learn, and then you can improve your own life again. Um, and and most of the time, when getting help is reframed into learning something new that that they can use, a man right. is all in. It's like great, perfect, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, am I making well, sense? No, yeah, you're making great sense. I mean, I, I like how you couch that in that learning a skill. Boy, that's an action item. That's something I can work on tonight. I can, you know, I can read. I can go online. I can learn uh, to recouch it as learning a skill. I really like mm-hmm. that. Right. I mean, for me, emotions or well, certainly emotions clobbered me. And I had no mental awareness that emotions were folding me over and and crushing me. Um, I did not know that I had this emotional component in my psyche, and it was squeezing me. It was compressing me. My body was starting to revolt, and I was getting ulcers and had digestive tract issues. And I didn't allow myself, I didn't even know, I didn't even know to know 
that what I needed was to vent and let go of some mm. of the crazy ass mm-hmm. feelings that I was having. I didn't have any skill set with that. My dad was a World War II vet, and you just suck it up, boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and what cracked me open was the first moment I allowed those kind of emotions to come out. It scared the shit out of me. I, I'm like, what the hell's this crap in my psyche? And mm-hmm. where has it been? Because I didn't know it existed. And all of a sudden, I'm having these a uh, tempest of feelings of emotions. And in the first few episodes, it was a pretty scary thing. But now I recognize that my emotions are, they're really on my side. They're just telling me, they're showing me how I see myself as I relate to my situations. And when you give yourself Mm -hmm. the space to be able to feel the emotion and release and to let go and let them vent out of you in a, in a, graceful way. You don't take it out on other people, but let yourself capitulate. Let yourself give yourself the space to let go and and let those emotions out. Because if you try to hold them all inside and navigate your problems and come up with, you know, I mean, you're kind of setting the deck against yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, men, generally speaking, in our society are are raised to be tough and strong and in control and showing mastery. So that usually translates into teaching little boys to be tough and strong and not be vulnerable and not show their feelings to the point where a lot of boys, you know, lose lose sight of the fact, of, you know, as you're saying in your own way, of the fact that they even have feelings, let alone what they are or what to call them or that it's okay to have them. Our, our society, you know, I'm not saying where it's all that or something, but we do some damage in the way that we raise boys emotionally, I think. And I think, you know, many people say that, yeah. Well, let's flip it over to the, I mean, there's a lot of women going through struggles. What are some of the, um, what should I say, common uh, snag points, common um, ways that they kind of get in their own way? Uh, Shed some light on on the feminine side of, going through these kind of struggles? I mean, I think in general, women, the pressure placed on little girls is the pressure to be nice and to get along and to please. And so a lot of little girls learn to do that. You know, they can get along, they can make other people happy, they can make relationships, and but they often sort of lose track of their right to be, oh, gosh, to have their own feelings and their own needs and their own wants and maybe sometimes to say, like, you know, I really don't want to do that. That's not right for me. And to be assertive and to, and, and to sometimes not please, right? And maybe maybe women don't know how to not please or, or maybe they don't have the, the skills to do that in a way that's socially acceptable, that doesn't alienate people. So, I, you know, we, society plays, you know, we put a lot of pressure on people, men and women, often different pressures, but just the same, you know. It's a, it, it's a rare person who doesn't have something that they could work on. <laughs> Emotionally, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. And and it can be scary to try. I mean, if you've always felt like you needed to please people and then you try a new tactic where you don't, you know, you're you're creating the space for you not to please, it can be scary to deviate from what's worked, if you will, if you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm hmm. 
And, you know, that's always an interesting thing in the therapy room is to take people who are unhappy with their life and with the choices that they've made, but they still don't really want to change, right? Right. And to help people develop the courage that, like, okay, well, yeah, if you're unhappy with it, the only way it's going to change is if you change it. Um, And to get people to the point where they're willing to take those risks, Right, and get and get um, kind of blunt with the responsibility. I don't, I don't know if responsibility is a word, but in in a, when it comes down to people changing, it's the people, <laughs> the people yep. that are going to need to change if they want a different outcome, and it's kind of yep. the elephant in the room sometimes. You said it. Well, Lise, we have a few a few more minutes. Um, it, I've really enjoyed this conversation because so many people are getting pushed pushed way out of their comfort zone, and and they're being called to do things that perhaps they never imagined being called to do in their life. And um, I've really liked the conversation about. Um, making your way and and one day at a time and and so, some of the other aspects we've talked about. What do you what do you see that some of the gifts are? I know I know it seems like a crazy year, but um, sometimes we we can't heal aspects of ourselves because we're not aware of them. They're like a subconscious aspect. And then 2020 comes along, and it's like the flipping rototiller in the gardens of our mind, <laughs> the gardens of our psyche. Why can we look about? Uh, how can we look at at this upheaval in our life and kind of see vantage points of how we can learn about ourselves, uh, take a deeper insight? Yeah some of our dysfunctional demeanors. I think and I think looking back on it, there can be a fair amount of positive that comes from it after we all survive it, right? You know, you have to get through it first. And right. and it's 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 a long dark road still and we're all still on it. But sooner or later things will be better. And I think a couple things are going to happen that will be very positive. One is, I think we're all going to have a lot more gratitude for the blessings of everyday life. You know, to be able to go to work. (laughs) Um, To see your friends. To uh, have lunch out. To, uh, you know, take that drive to... um, I don't know, to the city, to see a play or go to a movie. I think we're going to have so much more gratitude for everyday life. That's one thing, and I think that will be uplifting. And then the other thing is that with great suffering, which, again, we have all been through to some degree now in this year, many people will say that the gift that they got from their suffering and from their trauma Looking back on it, the gift they've gotten from it is the is a greater capacity for compassion. You know, I work with a lot of people who've said, like, having been through this terrible thing, I will never judge people the same way that I used to. I'm going to be much more sensitive to other people when they're going through things because now I know what it's like, and I think there's a there's a potential for us as people to develop much more compassion for suffering. And my goodness, that would be a great thing for us. Right. Well, very well said. Well, Lise, I want to make sure our audience knows all about you. You've got your book. You have your practice. I mean, tell us about Give us the whole picture. I mean, is it in person? Is it over the internet? And tell us your 
um, services and how to get your book. Great. Thank you for asking. So I'll, I'll start with the book. My, my book is called Flashback Girl, Lessons on Resilience from a Burn Survivor by Lise DeGear. And it is available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or you could just go to your local bookstore or library and ask them to order it. They can e- easily order it for you. And the book is, it's my memoir, and it also has a little lesson, actually, at the end of every chapter that's designed for the reader who, you know, is kind of wanting some takeaways about life and struggle and and how to make it through hard times. And as I say that, that makes it sound like it's a bummer. It's actually an uplifting book, and it's a gripping read. I've had many people say to me they read it in one day. It's a very ripping tail. <laughs> so if you like a good page turner, go for it. In, in addition, you can, I, I run, uh, I have a website, and in my website, I do a week, uh, bi-weekly now blog on topics about resilience. So if you are a person who'd like to learn more about resilience and stories about resilience and how to build that more for yourself, you can go to my website, which is my name. It's lisadegear.com, and that is spelled L-I-S-E-D-E-G-U-I-R-E, lisadegear.com. I practice in New Jersey, so um, I, I am doing some Internet stuff, but honestly I'm, I'm pretty busy with my practice, so the opportunities to connect with me there are they're present, but they're, they're, they're not, there's not a lot of them. So, uh, but I, I would love to hear from people and um, uh, would welcome the chance to connect more with your listeners. Well, very nice. Um, time flies when you're deep in conversation and we've come to the end of the hour. Um, Lise, uh, do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? Hmm. Well, I suppose it's it's maybe a, a little reiteration of what we've already been talking about, which is that, you know, I am well aware that everybody's suffering right now. Uh, me too. You know, I'm I'm about to have Christmas, neither one of my daughters are gonna be home. I'm a little bit heartbroken about that, honestly. There's, there's a lot of loss going on right now. And hopefully there's comfort in the fact that we're all doing it. We'll all get through it. You know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And there are gifts in the suffering. That's what resilience is, is being able to get through things, learn from it in a way that actually improves your life. And that is possible. We can do that. Very nice. Well, Lise, I want to thank you for I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to, to talk with you, Les. Thank you so much for having me. We've been talking with Dr. Lise DeGear, and the topic tonight has been Transforming Pessimism into Joyful Optimism. Now, she just said that there's resources that can help you get through this. There's people that offer resources. And she just mentioned that she has a blog that talks about resiliency, I think she said, bi-weekly. So if, if you're going through some tough times, then resiliency would be a nice attribute to put in your um, in your strategy, go to her website and and sign up and and listen to her blogs about resilience because if (laughs) 2020 is calling us to show up in so many new ways and uh, you as a listener have shown up here you are now you've listened to an episode and Hopefully you've gotten some tips from this episode. 
You could have been doing something else. You could have blown this off, but here you are now. You showed up for yourself. So I want to applaud you, the listener, for showing up for yourself. Hey, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. I know it's a crazy Christmas. It's kind of an insane time here on the planet, but I just want to wish you a Merry Christmas. It's my pleasure bringing you episodes like this. Um, I, I, I just love it. it. It makes me feel wonderful. I'm your host, Les Jensen. As always, a pleasure. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.